As I promised you, when we started the Christmas season here in the beginning of December, you know, when we were growing up, I grew up in a, a mainline denominational church. And um, whenever the Christmas season started, when you got X amount of weeks, four weeks from the actual <clears throat> Christmas Eve service, we called that Advent. Advent means coming, the coming of the Lord. And, and, and people sometimes celebrate that with Advent wreaths and, and, and lighting candles, and the candles have different colors, etc., and, and that can be a meaningful thing, and there's nothing ostensibly wrong with that. And that's how, that's how we began to prepare or we began to celebrate as we moved closer and closer to the day when we actually honored Christ in his coming, in his first coming, in his birth. And uh, so this year, while we don't light candles and we don't do Advent wreaths, and uh, you're certainly at liberty to do that, we used to have our own little time at home where we would do that and get the kids together and do a little devotional time, and that can be meaningful as well. But when we got started now, almost four weeks ago, starting this particular season, I, I told you that I wanted to talk from the Christmas passages because I felt like the Christmas passages um, gave us a good template. And a, and a template is, is like a pattern of, of what you ultimately want to get if you follow that pattern right. And when you begin to see Jesus and how he came into the earth and how he was the first fruit... The Bible says he was the first fruit of many. He was the prototype. He was the example. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus, he was, he was very God. And when you look at the life of Jesus, it is just unrealistic to expect that in any way, shape, or form, we could begin to function like he did. But, but I don't know where you got that, but it wasn't from here. Je- Jesus himself said, the works that I do, you shall do. And greater works than these, because I go to the Father. And he was very God, no doubt about that. He was 100% God. But in the same token, he was also 100% man. And that's the mystery of what we call incarnation. That's the mystery of his coming. Because he's very God and very man. Nobody else quite like him. He was unique in that because his dad was obviously God the Father. His mom was Mary. If you want to understand how he could be sinless, let me just I'm just kind of sharing with you. Is it okay? I've just decided... I'm going to get real free, and I'm just going to start talking out of the overflow. But this is really, to me, it's really an interesting way that this works. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the reason you and I were born sinners, each one of us, nobody here got out of that. Everybody. I know you can have the newest of babies, look at that baby and say, isn't that the sweetest, cutest baby you've ever seen? And they are adorable. Pink cheeks. Wonderful, lovable, everybody loves a baby. And you say, how could you say that a, a little baby, a little, how, I mean, it, how, it hasn't gotten, how could it get into any trouble? All it does is lay there in the crib or in your arms or in the bassinet or wherever it is. How can you say all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Because sin isn't just what you do, it's who you are. You see, sin isn't just that you're, you're participating in activities you ought not participate in or that God says you ought not be involved in. But sin at its root is selfishness. It's self-consumption. Luther said it was in the Latin, incurvitum en se, it was man turned into himself. And if if you disbelieve that every, every one of us is born in sin, all you have to do is watch a baby and you don't feed it on time. How many of you know when a baby wants fed, it wants fed and it wants fed now. It does not care what you've got going on in your life. If it's got a wet diaper... Now, now, that's the essence of sin. And and, and we need to understand that all of us were born that way and it came through, the Bible says, the seed of Adam. It says, in Adam, all have died. In Adam, in Adam, not in Eve, in Adam. So ladies, this is your vindication right here. It may have been Eve who took the fruit first, but it was Adam that messed us all up. It wasn't Eve. In Adam, we all have sinned. And so, and so from the very first parents, when children were procreated and when children came into the earth, the seed began to move through the man. And from this point forward, whether you're a woman or a man, all of you were conceived by two parents, one being a woman and a man. 
But you got that seed or you got that curse because all have sinned through Adam. But here's the cool deal about Jesus. His dad wasn't of the seed of Adam. His dad was his heavenly father. So his seed was absolutely spotless, taintless. And so that is the one unique quality. When, when Jesus was, was inseminated into Mary's womb, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she became supernaturally pregnant, although she was a virgin, she'd never known a man. At that particular moment, he was conceived. And while he was very man, he was just like us, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone. He lived, he breathed, he understood, he thought all the same things that you face and work through and are challenged by, he looked at as well. But the one difference was true, that, that his seed was the seed of his heavenly father. And so when he gave his life for you and me, he was just like the great, 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 great granddad Adam was before he fell in the garden. But the reason God sent him that way was in order to show us how life could be lived, how life could happen. He became that template. He became that prototype. He became that first fruit of how life is to be lived. And so we've been sharing these past weeks how in the Christmas story, we begin to see how God unfolds his promises in the earth. Remember what I told you? And I know I'm reviewing right now, so just bear with me. The reason I review is because I've been doing this long enough to realize most people can't retain what I tell them 24 hours after I say it. So we keep going back over it again and again and again and again. I want you to remember that, that the Bible says that Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every promise you've got from God, every plan, every purpose, all of God's will to you is yes if you are in Jesus Christ. He not, it not only comes to you being in him, but it also comes in order uh, it, it also comes by way of order that you would understand how that unfolds through him. So when God sent redemption into the earth, when he, sent, when he sent salvation into the earth through his son, he demonstrates to us how his promise unfolds. Because if his number one priority, if his number one promise goes through certain things in order to find its fulfillment, the point I'm trying to make is, is that your purpose, your promise, your destiny... God's will for your life will probably go through very similar stages and happenings. Are you with me? So we talked about week one, about how every promise gets battled over. Even when Jesus came into the earth, Herod loosed his armies and tried to kill all the babies. And so there was a battle over this promise. You would have thought God would have, would have done something a little bit different with his number one plan or priority, but he allowed that number one purpose to experience the possibility of being in the midst of a battle, to experience an onslaught of the enemy. And I want to remind you that as promised as you are this morning, and how many of you are promised this morning? Remember, come on, that's 100%. 100% of us are promised in God, are purposed in God. But you need to understand that as that begins to blossom and find fulfillment, you will be in battles. If you cannot escape it, I, if I could get you out of it, I would. I'd get myself out of them. But there are going to be challenges and battles for those purposes. So you need to get a hold of that. And we talked about that on week one. On week two, we talked about how that promise unfolds. We talked about all the unique features of Jesus coming into the earth. We talked about how God uh, began to express his promise in unconventional ways. He began to express his promise paradoxically. That there were, there were all these different emotions that were going on. What were some of the other things? Help me. What, do you remember? What were some of the other things? We, we just talked about how all those things were expressed in the earth in, in, in very unusual ways. And that when God brings to pass your promise, there could be some unconventionality to it. There could be some paradoxical moments to it. God does things in unusual ways. We always want to plan things out, don't we? we? We always think God works logically and rationally. And if you think that, you've not read the Bible. Like, like give a 15-year-old a baby. That's a little unconventional. You know, send him to a town that's way far away. There's all sorts of unconventionality to it. So that's what will happen at times with your promise as well. But this morning, what we want to get to is understanding what takes place in us when that promise begins to take root and take hold. And, and, and I believe it will help you because 
The scripture is going to tell us out of the gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 1. It says here that there are some things that are going to take place that we need to get a hold of, and it will help you understand what God's producing in your life. And we're just going to begin reading this passage. John 1, verse 1. You'll begin to recognize the words here. John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, answer the question. Who was the Word? God. Okay, but let's define it a little bit more specifically. Who was the Word? Jesus. Very good. He was the Word. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him. Everyone say, in him. Now, this is really important because I've already said, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in, say that again, say in, in, Jesus Christ. Now, this is really, really important because if you're not in him, in him, let that sink there for just a minute, in him. I didn't say, do do you know about him? I didn't say that. I said, in him. Here's the reason why so many people don't have a quality of life. They don't understand why life doesn't seem to work for them or why at times it seems like God is distant He's uncaring. He's not involved in what's going on with me. This is the reason why. It's because oftentimes we know about him. We're around him. We'll talk about him. Think about him. But the key to functioning under his precept, principle, and kingdom, if you want it to happen in your life, is you've got to be in him. It's very different. See, the promises of God are yes and amen, not because you know about him, but because you're in him in him that's got to become revelation in him it says verse 4 in him in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it now i'm going to get back to light next week but i want to spend my time this morning on talking about the life of God. And I believe I put the lesson overhead, the lesson title, I said, the life of God in your promise. You need to understand that when you get a hold of promise, when you get a hold of the purpose and the destiny of God, that there is life in that. Everyone say life. Now I understand you're going to initially think you understand what life means. But I want you to know right now, most people do not understand what life means. What life means is this is that there is, a, there is a quality of existence that is distinguishably different than the way everyone else in the world lives. There is a distinguishable difference. There is a quality of existence that is different than the way everyone else in the world lives. There's a famous verse, John 10.10, 10, that says this. Some of you will know this by heart. For the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy... So everyone understands the enemy is not out to give you bad hair days. He's not out just to make your life just sort of miserable, kind of bad, make you down. The enemy wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to tear everything you have apart and ultimately bring death to that situation. He wants to bring death to relationships. He wants to bring, he wants to bring death to your spiritual life, obviously. He wants to bring death to careers and vocations and jobs and ministries. He, he's in the business of death. God is in the business of life. But life comes when we are in Jesus Christ. So John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. And what? That more abundantly. In fact, that word abundantly means, means super mega happening. I mean, it, it, I mean, blow you away big time. I have come that you might have life. Now, I'm just not talking about getting stuff and filling up your garage and your houses and bank accounts. I'm just not talking about that. But he says that I've come that you might have an abundance in life. We're talking about also those wonderful, intangible, internal things that you so desperately need when the time arises, like, you know, peace and joy and hope. I mean, isn't that true, Dwight? I mean, there comes a moment you can have all the stuff in the world, but if you don't have peace, man, it ain't worth anything. If you don't have joy, it's not worth anything. 
And, and so that's what we're talking when we're talking about life. Jesus, in Him, He has come to give life and that more abundantly. He wants you to have a qualitative difference in living, a distinguishable difference from the way those who are not in Him are living. But the key is, first, we have to understand, I think, to go after this, we first understand what life is not. What life is not. So flash that on the screen, guys. What life is not. Let's make sure we understand what I'm not talking about first. Number one, life is not biologically existing. Now, I know we use that term, that if you exist biologically, in other words, I breathe, I walk, I eat, therefore, I'm alive. But that's not what the Bible means by life. When Jesus says, I come that you might have life and that more abundantly, or I've come to give you life, he's not, he's not talking about just existing biologically. How many of you know, you can be, you, modern medicine and technology can put you on a table, can, can put all sorts of you know, wires and gadgets and things in you, and they can keep you existing on that table with all sorts of what we call life support systems. But just because that's what you're doing and they can perpetuate your biological existence, that's not a quality of life, is it? That, that has nothing to do with quality of life. I want you to know right now there are people who are walking and they are going here and they are going there and they're working and they're, they're, they're doing what they do. And, and for all practical purposes, you could put them on life support systems. I mean, because there ain't nothing qualitative about their life. That's all they do. They're just existing biologically. The second area, as you'll see, is it's not participating in the issues of being human. Not participating in the issues of being human. Some people think life means that, you know, we just begin to function in doing what we do as human beings. We get up. For some of you, the young people might go to school. Those of you that are adults, you'll go to work. We, we're homemakers. We're, we're, we're moms and dads. Uh, you know, we're all sorts of, of different things. We go to grocery stores. We pay our bills. We, we exist in what it means to be a human being. And there are some people who say that's doing life. Doing life. But that's not what the Bible means when it says life. Can I just share with you again that there will be people you'll pass in the grocery store, in the malls, you'll go to school with. There'll be people in every facet of life and they will not be having a quality of life that distinguishes them in any way, shape, or form. There'll be nothing in them that, that produces peace and joy. I mean, I was, I was just listening the other day. I mean, it, it, it's remarkable how much, how much money gets spent during the holiday season. It's just absolutely remarkable. Now, I'm not against that. I enjoy getting gifts as much as anybody. But it's interesting how you can have a tree full of gifts. You can get everything you absolutely ever wanted. I can remember being a young child and just thinking back to old Christmases and having a, a request that went in. And you got your request that that Christmas Eve night or Sunday morning or, or, or Christmas morning, whenever you celebrate it, and, and you find the very thing that you'd asked for and hoped for, and you got it, and you're so happy, and it isn't 30 days later before that thing wears off on you. It doesn't mean nearly as much. And, and so you need to understand that when the Bible speaks of life, it's not talking about just participating in the issues of being human. You can have all of these things, but not have what really, really matters. But the Bible, when it speaks of life, it uses a Greek term that's called this. It's called zoe. Zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe. You can put the slash over the E. And this is what the Lord says life is. When it says that in him was life, or that I've come to give life. Now just listen for just a minute. It says that it is a life that only God, only God can give to a person. It's a quality of existence that has with it a sense of hope, a sense of meaning, a sense of satisfaction, of contentment, and fulfillment. It's a state of existence that transcends the normal emotions of living, but it senses the grace of God. Now, what does that mean? It means this. It does not matter what your financial standing may be in the earth. You can still have the life of God. Amen? It doesn't matter what your status is relationally. You can still have the life of God doesn't matter where you work. It can, it can be a great place or it could be a terrible place. It, it could be what you always hoped to get or it could be the place you never wanted to be. But you can still have life. The life of God can be in that. Because the life of God isn't dependent on what takes place around you. It is totally dependent on what takes place in you. And that is why it says that in Him 
in him there is life. And it's a paradox of sorts that I've met people, even within the household of God, even within the church of Jesus Christ, the paradox is this. They will say they love God, and yet there's no life. They will say, yes, they they acknowledge there is a God. They'll acknowledge that he is there, he's out there, but there's no life in them. They will will say all the right things. They'll even do the religious things, but there is absolutely none of this zoe going on inside of them. And it's because they're they're not understanding how the purpose and the promise of God are linked up to their life. Now, let me give you just a quick example out of the scripture. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. As you'll recall, Adam and Eve were in the garden... They were created for the simple purpose of worshiping and serving God. It was very simple in the beginning. They were in this pristine state. Everything that was about them was was just pure and it was open and they enjoyed this relationship and their whole purpose was to worship God and to fellowship with Him and that's all there was. Wouldn't that be neat? That's their only purpose was to do this. But you know the story. Their story was that They took the fruit, ate of the fruit, death entered into the equation. And when death entered into the equation, it was not only only the curse of that eventually they would biologically die, but death entered into the equation that there would no longer be the same satisfaction. There would no longer be the same fulfillment or contentment that was meant to exist inside of them. No longer the same joy, no longer the same peace. Those things that God... Had, had willed that exist inside of them. They would no longer exist because they decided they would disobey him and separate themselves from his presence. So God drives them out of the garden. And as he's driving them out of the garden, he pronounces really a prophetic word. And that prophetic word was this to the man. He said, you would work and you would sweat and you would toil. And he begins to talk about how from this point forward, when you lay your hands to things, it was going to be a whole lot different than it was previously. And he looks at the woman. And, she said, and he says to the woman, in, in childbearing, there will be pain. And, and there will be a whole new feature to, to existence now that you all have determined that you wanted to exist outside of my commands and my, uh, my precepts. And from that time forward, what we found ourselves doing is we found ourselves now doing life or living life and we're doing all the things we know to do, but there is nothing inside of us that gives us a sense of of peace and satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment. And it's because we've not understood the plan and the purpose and the will of God and how that is expressed in and through Jesus Christ. Now, we need to remember Jesus came, it says he came in order to give us life. Do you have that? Now, I, I, I realize I'm dwelling, but you'd be amazed how many people have heard this so much. It just, it just, it skips. Jesus came in order to give life. So in other words, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. In Adam, we have all fallen. But once we open up our heart, we receive Jesus Christ, we then step in him, we become in him the Bible says it is through Jesus Christ that life comes. And I realize I'll be thought of as very exclusive and very narrow, so be it, because this is what the Scripture says. You will find life nowhere else except in Him. You can't find it in religion. You will not find it just because you go to church. You'll not find it just because you do a lot of good, great, religious-type things. You must get in Him. In Him. And you get in Him, and it says that He gives you life. Gives you life. Now, the instant, listen to me, this is the part that God started working with me and it was, it was revelational. I started chewing on it. When you're not experiencing life, listen, I mean, when you've tasted of the life of God, and I trust all of you have, or most of you I trust have, when you've tasted of the life of God, that spring of life, when you've tasted of that, nothing else will do. When you sense that spring that's inside of you that comes from Him, that it doesn't matter what your circumstances may be, you are, you are experiencing Him. There is nothing like that. And here's, here's the thing I'm coming to learn or coming to understand or getting some revelation on, that the instant life leaves, listen to me, the instant life leaves you, it's not your church's fault. It's not your pastor's fault. It's not your husband's fault and it's not your wife's fault. It's not your parents' fault. 
And it's not the world's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's not your teacher's fault. Can I just share, when life leaves the situation somewhere... Now, I'm not even going to get into the theology of this because I know what some will be bopping up to me and they'll want to have this whole discussion about eternal security and just, I don't want to have it. Just keep it to yourself. But somewhere along the way, you've stepped out of being in Him. Somewhere along the way, you stepped out of that life flow that comes in him. And what has happened is you've moved into an arena where life is no longer springing. And that's your fault. I've heard it for years. People say, I don't need anything. I don't get this. I don't get like, like it. Like somehow it's the world. It is the world or the church or pastor or somebody. I don't know who. It's, it's somehow it's their responsibility to keep you jazzed and up and going and living for God. I quit if that's how it is. I just quit. I'll just let you know right now. It's nobody else's responsibility but your own as to whether you're going to live all out for God. And here's the good news. You can live all out for Him, enjoy it, and have peace if you'll understand what it means to be in Him. In Him. And anytime you feel that life flow begin to shut down, the first thing you need to ask yourself is this question. Have I moved out of being in Him? Now, I'm not, just take out the salvation issues. Have I moved out of from being in Him? In Him. Because you get back in Him, and you're going to begin to see that life will begin to flow back towards you. Now, the reason this is important with regards to promise and purpose is because I believe that God has a will for all of our lives. He has a destiny. He has a plan. He has a promise. He has something that he has uniquely designed for us to do. He hasn't created us just to kind of bumble stumble around life, to just capriciously trip here, there, and everywhere, but he has, he has uniquely designed us for a purpose. Now, it may be that that purpose will unfold more and more as you get older and as you walk with him, but nonetheless, he's, he has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. And I've begun to understand as I've looked at this template now of Jesus that when you're, when you're in purpose and when you're in that plan and when you're in that destiny, that's where life begins to flow. But the minute you choose to step out of will or step out of destiny or plan or purpose, what happens is death once again begins to enter into the equation. Can you understand that and be with that? Now, let me just deal just for a moment before I go through some points I want to give you. I got to deal with, first off, the cop-out statement. Because many, many people will say this to me. They'll say, well, Pastor, for instance, let me give you an, let me give you an example. They'll say, Pastor, I know you're needing people to help set up tables. I know you're needing people in children's church. I know you're needing people to maybe to visit shut-ins. You're needing people to work the nursery. You're needing people to do all this. But I want you to know I'm not called to do that. I, I just tell you, I, 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 there's just no life in me when I do that. I mean, it's, it's lifeless. So, you know, I'm going to have to stay in life because I heard you preach that sermon that one Christmas where, you know, that if we were in the purpose of God, there would be life, and there just ain't no life in that for me. Can, you know, Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years. I don't know how much life there was for him in that. But for 30 years, he had to do something that was not his ultimate purpose. Are you with me? And, and, and there was something about being a carpenter that I have to believe helped him, groomed him, fashioned him in order that he could begin to fulfill the rest of what God had designed for him to be, which was ultimately our savior and demonstrator and first fruit. So can I just say this as I get into this? I do believe that, that there is a truth to there will be life in your purpose and life in your call, but... You, you, we need to learn something in the body of Christ. We, we twist things in order that it can just serve us. We twist things in order that it makes us feel better. And I'm not talking about your feeling. I'm talking about the will of God. I'm not talking about just getting your emotions to the place where, where you're happy. I'm talking about getting to the place where you're satisfied because you know that you know that you know you are in the heart and the will of God. And you need to understand that as you get to that place that God may make you do a carpenter's job for a while. He may make you do some things like Joseph did in Potiphar's house or in the prison. He may, he may ask of you to do a few things that have a direct relationship to your ultimate purpose that he has in you. We all have to serve. Jesus still served. 
I'm not, I, when he washed the disciples' feet and he served them, I'm quite sure there wasn't life in that. I mean, maybe there, maybe, I don't know, I can't speak for God, but this much I know. I mean, when you serve and you do something out of the norm, sometimes it doesn't always give you the goosebumps that you want. But here's the key. You've got to understand that God may put you there or have you do that for whatever season, but, but there's a strong understanding where your purpose and where you're going, and what God has called you to do, and that is where the life of God flows. And even in that moment, and I believe this is true for Jesus, that at 12 years old, the scripture tells us that he understood exactly who he was, what he was about, and where he was going as he interacted with the religious leaders of his day. And I've got to believe that as he was hammering wood, and as he was doing the carpentry stuff, there with his father, that there was something inside of him the whole time that was saying, I know I'm in the carpenter shop. I'm learning some things with my earthly dad here, but there's going to come a day when God's going to open up the door and the full expression of that purpose will come. And even as he's sawing that log there in the carpenter shop, there was life in him. And there was peace in him and there was joy in him. And there was something in him that understood that this moment was not without meaning, but it was tied to the future. And that's the problem with Christian people is you go to work and you have no sense of future. You have no sense of destiny. You just, you just do life and God's just supposed to sovereignly just whoosh you to something. And you've got to understand that if you're sweeping floors, that every piece of dirt you sweep, God is in that. And no, it may not be your ultimate purpose, but God's got a purpose at that moment. And that destiny's got to be beating there because you'll say to yourself, I understand this is what I am not originally called or meant to do, but somehow or another as I sweep this floor... Somehow or another, as I, as I watch this kid or tend this baby or visit this sick person, somehow or another, as I do this thing that I really don't feel like I like to do all the time or want to do, but God's fashioning and forging something in me because I've got a future in Him. I've got a future in Him. And that suddenly begins to bring that peace back and that joy back into your life. So I, I want to talk for these last few moments I have about how that promise or that purpose and that life flow together. They flow together, just like they did in the Lord's life. Number one, I want to remind you that life originates in Jesus Christ. I've already touched on this. You aren't going to find this type of quality of existence outside of Him. I can remember when, and you've heard me tell the stories before, when I was 18 years old, I was in my first year of college and about halfway through the semester and that was when God called me to preach. He called me to, to, to declare the gospel. I can remember clearly at 18 years of age, that's when he, he began to, to deal with me and, 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 and call me. And uh, a part of that was a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation, a lot of anxiety because as you've heard me mention before, Anytime I had to stand up in front of people, I needed oxygen. I mean, I needed, you know, because I, 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 I'd lose my breath. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be so, I'd hyperventilate. I'd get, I don't know whether it was excitement or what it was, but it just, it was all I could do to just breathe normally in front of people. And uh, I can remember when God began to prepare me. And, you know, you can look back through the years and you can see the hand of God so clearly. At the time, you don't see it so clearly. But I can remember on the night that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I remember being in that evening service in February. I can remember when that gray-haired old man came and he began to minister the gospel. And I began to listen. And you've heard the stories about how I'd gone to evening church and listened to all the stories about, you know, if you don't receive Jesus, you're going to hell. And I, I took the best they had to offer. I mean, they, there was a lot of hell on Sunday night, wasn't there, Trace? I mean, you heard that a lot. There was a lot of hell. And it never fazed me. Never once. Telling me that I was going to hell didn't faze me at all. Even though I was headed there, sure as the world. Never fazed me once. God never used it to touch me, reach me, speak to me. Never once. Didn't faze me at all. But I'll tell you what happened from that gray-haired old man. He came and he began to talk about the purpose of God. And he began to talk about the will of God and destiny. And he just, he was this old guy. In fact, I remember coming in that night. This old guy was, you know, he looked a lot like me now. And, and uh, 
You know, I thought, what has he got to say to me? I mean, it was one of those I'd already preconditioned myself to say, I'm going to get some snooze time in on this one. And uh, I can remember him coming in, and it was just like he started talking. wasn't particularly dynamic, didn't holler or yell, just kind of an old guy. He was up in his 60s, and he talked softly. But the Holy Spirit was on what he was saying, and it began to talk to my heart. And there was something at that particular moment that began to stir inside of me that, that had never stirred before. And as he spoke about purpose and he spoke about destiny, it started to stir more and more. And what I didn't know then, I do know now, that was the life of God. The life of God. Stirring around in there. I never, I never had experienced that before. You, can, you could feel it. And praise God, that night I had enough sense to say yes and get in him. And once I got in him, that life began to be expressed. So that's where it starts. Life starts in Jesus Christ. Number two, your purpose in him is for the express reason of experiencing his life. Your purpose in him is for the express reason of experiencing life. Now, I think we do a disservice to people sometimes when we we maybe invite them and, and say, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And, and we pray the prayers and we do everything we are supposed to do and all that is right and in order. But I think the one disservice at times I think we do with people is that we, we don't communicate early enough to them that the key to the, to the feeling or the key to that sense or to that thing that's going on inside of you, to, the key to all of that is that you've got, you've got to remain in the purposes of God. You've got to remain in what God has asked of you, destined of you, and, 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 and willed you. And if, and if you choose not to, then you're going to walk out of the life of God. That's why so many people, when they say, well, you know, I gave my heart to the Lord and I walked with Him a few weeks, and you know, then it just all seemed to fade away and it wasn't the same and it all got different. Well, let me just share a couple things with you real quick. These are simple beginning places. It's the will of God that you stay in the house of God. And if you choose not to function under that precept, I will assure you it won't be a week or two before the life leaves. Are you with me? Because once you step out of what God's purpose for you, what happens is is it begins to evaporate in you. I mean, I could go through all the things that God has purposed for us to do. And, and And when we walk out of that, life begins to evaporate. And it works that way with his individual calls and his individual purposes for your life that when you begin to walk and embrace and understand it there will be a life flow that will begin to take place and the reason he does that is to keep you in the will of god if you choose to walk out of the will of god you will walk from life are you hearing me i've heard people all the time well i'm just going to have me a season of this of fun or this or that or whatever they define as fun i'm just gonna have a season of doing what i want to do or doing this and then they wonder why they dry up because the purpose of god the will of god is like this pipeline and when and when you're walking in that this pipeline keeps releasing life to you and there's this fulfillment this satisfaction this purpose and that's why he gave purpose purpose is for the express reason of keeping you in the life of God. Number three, purpose is not doing a good thing, but rather the right thing or the God thing. Purpose is not doing a good thing, but the God thing. If you're in John, still turn to John chapter 4 real quick. John 4.34. John 4.34. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So he wasn't doing his own thing, right? He was doing the will of him who sent him and to finish his own work. So Jesus says, I'm bound right here to the will of God. Turn to that next passage. I believe it's in John chapter 5, verse 30. Just keep on Turning your pages, it says this. Listen to what the Lord says. This is fascinating. I can of myself do nothing. Wow. Wow. I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And then finally, 638. 638, John's Gospel. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. You need to understand that that Jesus didn't come to do good things. This is the greatest misconception and the greatest twisting the world, the secular world does to the gospel and to Jesus Christ himself. I've heard people say this so many times, it'll just make you nauseous. They'll say, well, you know, I think Jesus was a, a good guy. He did good things. He, you know, he was a good teacher. And, and they'll, they'll, they'll say that in order to patronize us because the next phrase is, but, you know, I don't know this stuff about whether he's the Savior. I think he was a good guy. Well, you know what? Here's the deal. Either Jesus was the Savior or he's a lunatic, man. I mean, you, if, if there's a guy that's walking around in the neighborhood saying he's God, I mean, he's nuts. Or he's the Savior. If he's walking around telling you that he and the Father are one, he's nuts. Or he's the Savior. And Jesus didn't come just to walk around the earth and do good things and, you know, touch people, heal people and do all the rest. He did those things. But the key to his life was not doing good things. The key to his life was doing the God thing, the purpose thing, the right thing. Have you ever heard the old statement that the good is the, is the enemy of the best? Have you ever heard that? Can I, can, I, can I modify that just a little bit? That the good is the enemy of the right. The good is the enemy of the right. I was reading a book, and, and, and sometimes if I mention books, people go out and buy them. So if you go out and buy this one, only read about the first two pages. The rest of it's terrible. But the first two pages said something that I thought was good. It said that the reason there are, there are so few great things is because we satisfy ourselves with good. This is what it said. It said because we don't have, I'm just giving you an example, we don't have great marriages because for a lot of people they have a good marriage. We don't have great schools because for a lot of people they have a good school. There aren't great corporations because by and large there might be good corporations. So no one ever goes after great because they satisfied themselves already on what is good. And that's what we do in the church. We, we do good things. Don't misunderstand me. It's not evil. Nobody's evil here. Trying to do something, you know, that the devil would want us to do. We're not doing that. We do lots of good things. But the key is not doing a good thing. The key is doing the right thing. The key is doing the God thing. Because, you see, when you do the good thing, listen to me, if you're in good, there's no life. You may feel a little better about yourself, but there's no life. But you get in Him, there is life. And so so that's why it's so important that you begin to understand and you begin to follow what the will of God is. Because when you get in Him, that's when life comes. Let's go to the next one. i got to hurry now. Number four, your quality of life is directly tied to you embracing God's purpose. That's your quality of life, is is if you don't want to embrace God's purposes, your your quality of life is going to diminish. Because in Him there is life. So understand right now, if you say, I don't want anything to do with this, I I don't want to walk with God, I'm really not interested, then understand up front, your quality of life will begin to diminish. Go to the next one, number five. The life of God will produce longevity. The life of God will produce longevity. One of the things I've enjoyed whenever I read the scriptures, is that whenever you see Jesus, Jesus lived his life, and Jesus could go nowhere until he was able to say, it is finished. He had to complete his course. Now, granted, his course was approximately 33 years, and that would seem short by our standard, but listen to me. He's the one that was destined, and he was the one that was designed to be the once and for all sacrifice For all of mankind, that was his purpose. And his purpose was complete and fulfilled, but it was not able to come to that place until he was able to say, it is finished. I've done everything that I was designed to do. I've lived my life to the place that I brought it to completion. And now I can can go. Can I just share this with you? If you'll get in the life of God, which is found in his purpose and his call... You will, you'll be given the years. You'll be given longevity. You'll be, you'll be given security and protection. I believe there's protection in the will of God. And you begin to function in the will of God, and God will add life to you. Have you ever noticed, and again, I, I, I'm slowly getting there, and I'm trying to get it slower, but, but as I age, I'm beginning to understand that I am immortal, that I, I cannot live forever, I'm not going to go on forever. 
And, and so I'm realizing in a very acute way, as every year passes, that there's going to be a moment that this biological body ceases to exist, and I'm going to go home to be with my God. But having said that, I also know this, that if I, if I stay in the purpose of God and I stay in, his, stay in His design, He will give me life and He will give me health and He will give me longevity. Have you ever noticed like a senior, you know, a senior citizen, when they're, when they're purposeful, they just live. They're like the Energizer Bunny. They just live. I mean, my dad, I mean, he's had three or four different careers and jobs, and now he goes off to his farm, and I call it piddling around all day. That's what I call it. But, you know, he goes and, and he works that piece of property, and he feels purposed in that. He feels, he feels designed in that. And, and so as he does that, I, I believe it will give him longevity, and it will give him a, a length of years. And I'm here to tell you, if you, if you have any interest in, in living to your fullest capacity and living out life to its full design, then you need to get in the will of God because God will keep His plan. And God will keep His purposes. He'll protect them. You've heard me tell the story before about being in Russia and jumping on Aeroflot. And if you've never flown Aeroflot, then that'll test the will of God in your life. I mean, it'll, 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 it, I mean it's, just, it's a terrible airline in Russia. You know, just drunk pilots and... They let animals run up and down the Lyles and there's, you know, the one I was on, they had a dog, which I, I, I was just grateful it was a dog. They've told me on other ones, there'd been chickens and cows and all kinds. They'll put anything in that airline. Don't even put it in a seatbelt. They just sit there and put it in the, put it in the airline. And I'll never forget the first time I ever jumped on one of those things. It was one of those Fred Sanford moments, you know, I'm coming home. But I looked ahead and I saw my pastor there with his white head and I, the only thing I could muster up at that particular moment was, Lord, I know that man's purposed. I know that man's got a call in his life, and he's got more things to do, and I'm just going to hang with him. Because I figure you'll protect him whether you'll cut me loose or not. I'm, gonna, I'm hanging on to him. The life of God will produce longevity. He'll protect it. Number six, despair is attached to the lack of purpose. Despair is attached to the lack of purpose. Anytime hopelessness enters into your situation, you got to pause and ask yourself the question, have I lost focus of purpose? Have I lost focus of what God's designed of me and what he's calling me and what he's doing and where I am in the season, etc.? Because that's when despair enters in. Hopelessness comes when you, when you begin to think, I'm not in the middle of what God is up to. And then finally, number seven, Everything necessary for your well-being is inherent in your purpose. Everything that is necessary for your well-being, what do I mean by that? I mean this, that there's, there, there are times as we live life and, and you look at everything that goes on, you'll look over here and you'll see, maybe you'll see people doing something or owning something or having something. You'll look over here and, and you'll see these people doing something or, or participating in something. And, and, and your, your eyes start looking at that and you say, well, maybe, maybe if I were to do that, I'd feel better. Maybe if I were to have this, I'd feel better. Maybe if I spent some money on this, it'd make me happy. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe if I were to be like them, that would, that would make everything okay. Can I just share this with you? That, that you will never be content, fulfilled, happy, peaceful, joyful, hopeful. You will never be any of those things until you once and for all settle it, what God has designed you to do, what he, what he has called you to do, and you've embraced that because everything you need externally and internally is going to be resourced in His purpose. You've heard me say Hudson Taylor before, where God guides, He provides. God's will done God's way will never lack God's resource. You've heard me say that so many times. It's not just true for church. It's true for you. If you're, if you're not, now I'm not saying there aren't challenges. Hear me. We've already talked about there are going to be battles. That promise is going to have to unfold. There'll be some unconventional things. You're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to be an incredibly discerning person in order to move and navigate the will of God. That's why the Bible says this. It says the natural man does not understand the things of God. Are you with me? So if you're going to function as a natural man, you're not going to understand any of what I'm talking about. But the spiritual man, it says, 
has his, his spirit attuned. It says, how do you know the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man? And so internally, that inner man can begin to help you understand what's going on and where you're at. And I'm just here to declare to you that everything you need for your well-being is inherent in your purpose. That's why if you choose to walk away from the life of God, you're going to walk into a life of poverty, lack. And let me just say this. You say, well, Donald Trump looks like he's done pretty good. And what about Warren Buffett? And what about all those guys? Yeah, what about all those guys? How many relationships have they burned through? How dysfunctional is their family? Yeah, they got a gajillion dollars. Whoop-de-ding-dong. I mean, think about that for just a moment. We think, we think just a few more bucks and everything's fine. I'm here to tell you that everything you need for your well-being is found in your purpose. And, you, and once you get a hold of that, it, it won't matter. if God And God will prosper it and God will bless it. But whether He gives you... A few hundred, a few thousand, a few million, it doesn't matter. You'll be happy and you'll be peaceful and you'll be content. And maybe just maybe he'll even release more because he'll realize that you won't get all wound up in the zeros. You got to get your purpose nailed down and understand the template is in him. It's in Jesus Christ. And I'll be done with this. The one time in my life that I, I, I... Probably, whether it was due to fear or, or eating, just the desire to eat, that I stepped out of doing what I do was when we had left Oakland, California and left that denomination that we were a part of and uh, I had to find a job and go to work. Not that I don't work doing this. I mean, I know some people don't think I work but about an hour and a half every week, but but I remember I remember going around and trying to find a job and, and, and I can remember going from place to place to place and I did, never thought of this until just this week just, I, I believe it was the Lord that reminded me as I was going from place to place to place I remember sitting down at least at two different locations of course they want your resume they want to know what you've been doing what you've been up to course was it was interesting let me just tell you this I, I i ended up having to trim my resume when they they'd see all this stuff on there they'd they'd look at me and they'd say no we can't hire you you're you know you got too much education for the job you've got too much school or that's really frustrating when you're over qualified and you're just wanting i'll do anything i mean i was to the place i'd do anything so you end up trimming it down but i remember one particular interview that i had i was with this lady and she was looking and it sounded real hopeful that this was going to work out because I can remember at that time in my life, I remember saying, I will never, as far as I'm concerned, I will never, I will never preach again. I was so frustrated at organized religion. I was just, I was frustrated at, at life. And uh, I, you know, and I said, I'm just, I don't care if I ever speak again, preach again. I am never, I, I'm just never going to do that. And I'll just remind you, whenever you say never, man, all of heaven moves and says, I heard a never. I'm sorry, if you're serving me and you love me, I'm going to deal with that never. And so I'm sitting there and I'm having this conversation at this interview. I think it was a a, a lady that was interviewing me for this particular position. And I thought it was going to work out and hit. And finally she just stopped and she said, you know, I just can't hire you. And it was just, I was going, I can't. I said, Why? I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I promise you, I'll work hard. I'm a really pretty smart guy. I pick up things pretty quick. I need to eat. And this, but this is what she said. No joke. This is what she said. And I, I really, I don't know her background or anything. She looked and she goes, you're just too called to stay here very long. Because your purpose just is your purpose. It's just what God's designed you to do. Listen, listen to me. Some of you are designed, listen to me very carefully. If you're doing what God has called and purposed you to do, there's nobility in that. Listen to me. Uh, ladies, listen to me. 
It doesn't matter if you're a homemaker and tending to small children or whether you're the chief executive officer of your own corporation. Each one is equally noble if it's God's purpose for your life. Are you with me? Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if, if you're a, a custodian or you're doing menial, what people consider menial labor or whether, or whether you're in a, a great vocation or whether you're doing something that causes you to be a chief executive of a Fortune 500 company. I don't care what end of the spectrum you may be on. Listen to me. If it's in the purpose of God, there is nobility in that. There's nobility in that. I don't know if it's the end of the line for you and that's all that God has you do. But let me tell you something. If, if, if that's what God has designed you to do, there is something of kingdom significance that's going to happen in that. I, maybe I can't answer it right now, but, but I know this much. You'll, you won't be happy any other place. You won't, and, and so I just encourage you. Whatever God begins to unfold for you or open for you, I encourage you. Yeah, that may be the thing to walk into, but don't you just go leaping here, there, and everywhere. You need to, you need to find the life of God because there's nothing better than finding the life of God. And you'll find His life in your purpose. Amen? Stand with me, will you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're invited in this place right now because you are the one that administers life. You're the one that that gives life to people. You're the one that takes what Jesus provided and, and you're the one that takes the call and the purpose and the plan of God. You're the one that takes all of those things begins to release it into people's lives and so I ask you right now to come and let life begin to stir in the hearts of these your people let it stir in them I pray let them know let them sense Lord let them feel let, 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 let them walk into that life flow that comes from you right now Lord I would ask that Every man, woman, young person that's in this building this morning, Lord, that, that they would begin to do their own check, spiritual checkup, and ask themselves this question, Lord, Lord, am I, am I following you in everything I know? Am I, am I being obedient? Am I in the center of what you're in? Lord, I, 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 can't, I can't do this any better than my Lord did it. When he said, I can do nothing of myself, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Lord, how much more would we have to say that? That we can do nothing of ourselves, but all we can do is what we see the Father doing. Lord, we take that seriously because Jesus didn't come to do his agenda. He came to accomplish the purposes of God. Lord, I pray right now that there would be an absolute commitment in the hearts of these people right now to say, I've come. God sent me here on this earth to accomplish His purposes. Maybe in, in this vocation, this career, this area, this relationship. I, I, I've, been, I've been sent to accomplish God's purposes. And let us embrace that again. I pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask this question. I know it's Christmas time. And you know, I, I'm, I am so aware of the fact that during this season of the year, I've watched it for two decades, how everybody sort of suspends spiritual decisions and other decisions because they just want to get through the holidays. They just suspend life sometimes in order to just press through the holidays and then well, things will get back to normal. But can I just share this with you? I don't think there's a better time than the season we're in. As we see what God has done for us, begin to consider all that that means in our life I, I don't think there's a better season in the year to say yes to him so with every head bowed every eye closed I don't want anybody looking around please don't walk unless it's an absolute emergency I mean it's a 911 emergency all right don't go anywhere but with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to ask this question before you go if you if you right now have never made a personal decision, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about what, 
your house was like when it grew up. I'm not talking about what your parents raised you up in. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about what you've just been, you know, in your, a culture of your house. You know, I went to church all my growing up years. I did. I, I, I attended church. But you know what? Just because I attended church didn't make me saved any more than if I slept in the garage and make me a car. Listen to me. Listen to me. There came a moment when the life of God beckoned to me and I had to say yes. And if you've never, if you've never stepped in to the life of God that's found only in Jesus Christ, in just a moment I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. I don't know what you want to call it. You're backslidden. You're alienated. For whatever reasons, maybe you were upset, frustrated. I don't care how you got there, but this morning God's calling you back. Because you walked out of the life flow. You walked out of the life spring. Every, everything about life has become meaningless and purposeless for you. And God is saying, it doesn't have to be that way if you get back in me. And, and this morning, this is, this is the invitation. It's for those that say, I, I need to get back in him. I'm, I'm not debating theology with you. You can, you can walk out of here and say that you, that you made a commitment at eight years of age and yanny, 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 yanny. But all you know is, is death. All you know is destruction. All you know is, is everything that is, that is so frustrating and your quality of life is terrible. I'm telling you, I'm not here to debate doctrine. I'm here to get you to reality. And you've got to get in him in him Jesus didn't die for your doctrine he died that you might be in him he didn't die for a denominational label he died in that people might be in him in him in him there is life there is life and right now you may say you know what I don't know that I'm really in him and I need to get back in him this morning before I go I need to make a decision right now so with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm looking, but no one else should be looking. On the count of three, just lift your hand to say, this morning I'm getting back in him. On the count of three, I'm getting back in him. Don't let your brain take you down a road that says embarrassment or what will people think. Let me tell you, in him there is life. In him there is life. And your heart is crying out for that right now. On the count of three, just don't worry about who's standing next to you. Don't worry about family. Don't worry about friends. Don't worry about anything. This is, this is you getting in Him. That's all that matters. We're going to do this, and I believe God's going to touch you in a special way right now. On the count of three. Ready? You can put your hand up. One, two. Come on, now do it. Three. Just put it up. Put it up. Everybody just keep your hand just for a moment right there. And now I want you to say, if your hand's up, just say, Lord, here I am. Come on now. Say it. Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send life. Now you can put your hands down right now. Now we're all going to pray this together. This is what we're going to do right now. We're all going to pray this together. Everybody in the house, pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you this morning that in you there is life. I come to you today and confess I got off the track, but I'm getting back on today. I confess my waywardness, my rebellion, and my sins. I ask your forgiveness. I'm full of self. I renounce it now. And I embrace you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's master and designer of my life. I believe in my heart. You were raised from the dead to give me life, resurrection life. I receive that this day. Thank you, Lord, for reaching out to me. And I'm reaching out to you. With your help, I'm walking out your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a big hand, will you? Praise God. I want you to know there, there are probably about 30 hands that just at least went up. I mean, didn't count them. Probably about 30. Now listen to me real carefully. This is what I want you to do. 
if, if you lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. If, if it was first time and you need a Bible or you need some material to get you help, to get you started, I can get that for you. Don't, don't leave without getting that. But number three, more importantly than that, I want you to turn to somebody before you go today and, just, and, 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 and begin to declare what God has done. Don't be ashamed of that. Look, because is it not true, folks, that we will, we will encourage and cheer people on their, on their way and on the will of God? Is that not true? I mean, you don't have to worry about that here. You do not have to worry about that here. So tell somebody. Get it established by saying, you know what? I'm, I'm getting on the right track. I made a decision this morning, and I'm getting back on track. And I'm going to get back in that life flow. I'm going to get back in that river. Amen. And we still got Wednesday night this week. Next week's Christmas Eve, and then we're going to have a week off. So enjoy that week as well. But God bless you. Be, be safe in the holiday season. And let me just cast the final blessing. Father, thank you that you're going to keep everyone safe because we're in the center of your will. You're, you're, you're going to keep us protected because we're walking in your purpose. Lord, you're going to let joy and, and hope and peace and all those other wonderful and tangible spring up in our life because we're in the center of what you're up to. And Lord, I bless these people with every good thing from your hand. The word says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. In Him, there is no variation or shadow of turning. So Lord, let them experience not just the the, the, the joy of giving gifts one to another, but God, let your goodness break through somehow. Somehow during this season, let it break through and bless them immensely and let them know that you, you are the best gift giver of all as you gave your son Jesus. We honor you, sir, today as we dismiss in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.